right, welcome to BA Brew. I'm Jonathan. I'm Simon. And I'm Sandra. Today we're going to talk about benefits, benefits management and realisation. And this is a subject that Simon contacted us about um, to suggest as a topic for the brew. Um, Simon, why did you suggest that we should have a brew talking about benefits? Well, I've found um, since since I actually went on the course with yourself, Jonathan, um, I found the subject really, really interesting and one of the most valuable modules actually on the BCS syllabus in terms of the value that it can bring to an organisation. Um, and I tried implementing a formal benefits um, planning and realisation approach um, at my company, uh, and I've had some successes and some challenges as well. So I thought it would be very interesting for those of us who either uh, are new to the subject or already know the subject and uh, are wanting a discussion point and to just have a chat about it and find out uh, some pointers and share some challenges. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, I, I think I've shared with you in the past, I've had loads of challenges with benefit management and realisation myself in my own career. It's a subject that I think is often ignored and swept under the carpet and maybe not given the focus and attention that it, it deserves. Um, so thank you for suggesting it. Um, so Sandra, your, your experience of benefits management, good, bad, indifferent? I think it can be hot and cold. I think it's one of those things that is taken quite seriously up until they get the business case signed off. Mm. And then it's onwards and upwards with all the challenges that a project brings. And sometimes the benefits are forgotten. And especially on a long project or program, those benefits can change over time. And sometimes the reasons for doing that project don't actually change alongside the benefits. Mm. So I think it's quite a forgotten area of projects mm. on a, in a lot of places. Yeah, there, there seems to be, okay, what, what, what are the costs, what are the benefits to get the business case approved and get the, the, uh, the investment funding? And then um, depending on the organisation and, and the culture and, and its approach to change, the, the, the business case can be forgotten about during the course of the project in some organisations. And that delivering the project is often quite difficult and so this, this thing called benefit realisation just seems like hard work and something else to do that we, we haven't got time to do. It seems to be a culture around. And um, that, that for me is a real problem because what it means is that we deliver changes and we don't always check to see what's the outcome that we got, which is, and the real problem there is that we're not learning from both our successes and our failures in terms of, the outcomes of change which is for me just flabbergasting um that how can that be the case in in lots of organizations certainly in my experience that is the case we don't look at what are the outcomes what are the business benefits that we achieved as a result of our really difficult change journeys i think you're absolutely right there jonathan and i think you know we often talk about post-implementation reviews pirs but how often are the actual benefits discussed in those pirs it's generally mm -hmm. what went wrong on the project what could i do better next time what did we forget to do? It's not about the benefits. Mm, mm. I think the other thing to remember is we talk about business case a lot. How many of our end users and our customers, you know, within our own organization actually see sight of that business case to see what the benefits actually are? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've certainly talked to lots of business analysts that don't see sight of the business case. So you ask, I ask routinely, um, do you get involved in, do you see business cases to, to lots of different BA professionals? And sometimes they say, no, I'm not allowed to see it. And, and for me, that's, that's um, yeah, again, I'm going to use that word flabbergasting because how, how can you 
analyze the business, help to build the business change. If you don't know what the benefits are, the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Um, yes, very strange. Um, so it's probably worth just for the audience, um, maybe defining what a benefit is. And, and I could go to one of you for this, but I'll, I'll take this one on. It's an advantage for and, on, for and on behalf of a stakeholder. So that implies that it's owned by a stakeholder. Um, and it's an advantage. It's a positive outcome for the benefit, not uh, for the benefit of the organization. Ideally, it's going to be aligned to, to strategy. Um, Simon, I know that you've worked a lot in the past with third party vendors. Um, you used to work at a third party software vendor, I think. And, and, and we've had some interesting discussions, I think, about the sales process and how the sales process for a consultancy or a software vendor influences the business case and, and this um, subject of benefits. Um, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, it, it does depend on very much on the, the business model of, of the vendor. Um, so some vendors will want to build a, a lasting relationship. And I, I know that in one of the previous BA brews, you talked about the, uh, was it the uh, OMBO or something like that? The mutually beneficial outcome? Yeah, optimally mutually beneficial outcomes. That's right. um, Mike, Mike Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and indeed, some, some of the software vendors will want to achieve that uh, and are in it for the long term. Yeah. Um, but then also you'll get other vendors who uh, may be wanting to implement something and um, not really that interested in the longer term. Um, and, and what you might find with some of those vendors is that they'll want to get involved. Uh, first of all, they'll want to find out who the decision makers are. And then they'll want to get uh, in communication with those decision makers as quickly as possible, um, even before sometimes a project's actually started up or any kind of formal procurement process has started. And, and that used to mystify me for a little while until I worked out that um, what they're trying to do is, is build up a, an investment from those stakeholders uh, in their time. Hmm. Um, I was recently reading a, a really interesting book called Sway, um, mm -hmm. about the pull of irrational behavior by Braffman. Okay. Uh, and, it, and it talks about three really important uh, key factors in why people might make irrational decisions. And I think it's quite relevant. Fascinating. Tell us more, Simon. So the first one's loss aversion, and, and that's a massively powerful um, part of the psyche uh, in that if, if you feel that you might be losing something, that's more powerful than any benefit you might ever have. Ah. So, so that, that they feel they've lost their time if they don't then do something. Yeah, I've, I've invested all this time. I've built yeah. this relationship with this wonderful salesperson. Um, if I pull out now, I'm losing that investment and that time. Mm -hmm. um, another one is value attribution, attribution even, um, which is the initial perception. So if someone perceives that as being a, a valuable product and that there's business benefit in investing in that product, Hmm. Um, it's very difficult uh, for them to change their mind after that first yeah. initial yeah. Um, thoughts. And then finally, there's something called diagnosis bias, um, which is where you just um, are almost blind to any contradictory ideas or even evidence to the to, that wow. your first perception might have been wrong. Yeah. And this book is great because it's got a number of stories in it that explain how sometimes absolutely devastatory events happen um, as a result of these three factors working together and building up until people are making totally irrational decisions. Uh, and I think this actually plays a factor in, in procurement quite often 
in that people feel bought into a certain path. And unless you have um, your own benefits mapped out, it's very difficult to actually move people back onto mm. um, the path of realizing your own benefits. Mm. It's interesting because the BA then, uh, as I say, imagine the business analyst is working with a stakeholder who's got that, they've been swayed to use the, the term for the book. I'm looking with an objective view as to whether or not this project should or shouldn't proceed from an objective, what's the outcomes, what are the benefits? That could be really problematic for the BA um, to to try and negotiate that sort of situation. Um, Sounds like a a fascinating model. I think that um, the bias towards our own abilities as well. We often think we're more able than maybe we are um, in terms of delivery of the project and of the benefits. Um, and we think we're going to succeed maybe where others have failed to do a similar such thing. Um, there's a lot of, lot of bias there. Um, I think you brought up a really interesting point there, Simon, about, you know, um, some of the vendors targeting those senior managers that can influence those decisions. And one of the challenges I've had, certainly in my role as a, as a senior BA in strategy and, and projects over the years, is that sometimes they're targeting those people that can make these decisions. That's absolutely fine but they don't understand how the business actually works. They can see the end goal that they want and they can see the result that they want. They want a new product, they want to increase this, they want to decrease that, but they can't actually see the steps that are involved and the complexities that are involved in their organization and getting anything done. And sometimes, you know, we use third party software and we use third party consultancy, um, but sometimes they don't understand how complicated the businesses are, especially in this world of, you know, where we've got businesses acquiring other businesses and um, increasing their estates exponentially without actually integrating that estate. So I mm. think it's quite interesting that they make those decisions very high up, but don't necessarily understand the impact it has on delivering it through a complicated business model. Absolutely. I think another danger as well um, is, is when the, the third party suppliers, partners um, want to help the senior stakeholders build a business case um, and they end up backwards building a business case. So making the business case fit the product that they're trying to sell. Mm. Um, and, and the reason that's, that's a, a challenge and is a danger is that they build their own USP into the business case, their own unique selling points, which means that when you go out to the market as part of your formal procurement exercise, it's very difficult to have any competition from other vendors because you've written this very custom business case that fits a handful of suppliers. Um, so that, that can be a bit of a challenge, challenge in itself sometimes. So I, I just want to ask who's got the cat because I heard the cat then. I apologise. <laughs> we, very, very loud a... Bengal kitten. I do <laughs> we, we've got a new cat um, in, in the Hunsley household just in the last two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, He's, he's not here at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm not working at home at the moment. But um, yeah, um, <laughs> is, is it food time, Alexandra? <laughs> no, you know, it's either going to be a delivery driver, a postman or a cat. Or a dog. It's our first cat that's appeared on the brew. <laughs> um, oh, really, she might well interrupt even more in a minute. So I apologise if she does. I'll try and go back on track. Um, one, of, one of the organisations that I, I've worked with in, in the past has someone who's in the role. I think they're called a benefit manager or a benefit realisation director. 
and they, they work for a third party software integration firm and their job is to basically build business cases that helps them to sell sell the product and and, and I, I i work with that person and um i i personally don't think they they were competent i don't i don't think they were someone that i would trust to build a business case for a small project let alone a large you know multi-million pound transformation um but i am going to just say though i know of a different software vendor that um they 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 talked to me about a um a sale of a product into as a um certification solution um into a university and the, the university procured the the product and this was to pro to produce things like degree certificates and um the, the the it solution was working fine absolutely perfect but what what happened in the organization was they chose not to use the solution so they got none of the benefit from having completed the project to install the new solution for certification software as a solution. And so it's not the vendor's fault. And, and, and I, I, I know that we probably talk about pop it a little bit too much, but people, organization, process, information and technology, the tech doesn't deliver the benefit on its own. You've got to have it along with your processes, the people, the organization, culture, the strategy, it's all going to be aligned and owned. And, um, it's not always the software vendor's fault, I suppose, is what, what I'm trying to get to, because sometimes it's, it's inside the organization that there's there's a failure to own the the execution elements um, around the purchase of the of, of the software. Um, and I think it's quite difficult sometimes because if you're buying third party software, I think it's essential that you have your internal BAs working alongside those vendors. Hmm. Sometimes it can be quite difficult to get that relationship and that that working practice um, initiated and working mm. properly. So mm. I think that for me, that's where the BA role comes into its own mm. as a negotiator, as a conflict manager, as that bridge between different parties. So mm. for me, that BA role is absolutely essential there, but sometimes I think it's probably not utilized to its full extent. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. One of my useful, most useful workshops I've done in the past two years, my favorite workshops, um, was a benefits mapping workshop, uh, mm -hmm. doing a dependency map. Um, mm -hmm. But I did it as an interactive workshop with some of the key stakeholders involved in the change. Um, between us, we were able to work out all of the enabling changes or all of the main enabling changes. And a lot of them on the project I was working on, because it was a compliance project, um, included a lot of the governance teams. Mm -hmm. And through involving them in that process, I was able to actually have people volunteer to be change owners Brilliant. Um, within a single workshop mm. and came out of it with actions and owners, which from one workshop is, is quite rare you can do that, especially uh, when you're working with multiple governance teams. Mm. Um, and, and actually it really set us up well to, to list out the deliverables for the project and, and work out who the key stakeholders were. Um, and the timeline and everything from that single workshop. Mm. Um, and absolutely, and unless, unless you're talking about the enabling changes, which include all of those um, parts of the, the puppet triangle, yep. Yep. The, there's, a real, um, there's a real possibility that your new shiny IT solution will sit on a shelf and gain dust. Yeah, um, yep. totally agree. Absolutely. And do you find that sometimes people are scared of the change because they don't understand those benefits so those end users 
don't understand what this change is about. It's it's going to make their life easier. It's going to improve their processes. And sometimes they just don't understand that and they're just scared of it. Yeah, I think I think communication of the benefits right at the outset of any project is, is absolutely fundamental for that buy-in. Um, without that, um, you, you've got this ongoing threat in any business of business as usual. And, and it tends to trump anything else that's going on. Yeah. Oh, we've got an audit. We have to drop tools. Um, you know, if, if you're in the middle of a project, that can just completely bring you to a halt. Um, so communicating the benefit to the individuals involved, in my mind, is, is absolutely paramount to getting in, in that buy-in from the business. Absolutely agree. I throw a curveball in. Where do you think Agile fits in the context of benefit management and realisation? Um, does it fit? What are your thoughts? I've, I've spoken to um, a few of the product owners here recently um, about this. And because a lot of the Agile teams are set up to work on products, which is quite a commercial um, mm -hmm. philosophy, um, they're more likely to talk about value than they are benefits. Mm -hmm. um, and because they have an ongoing model, a, a cyclical model and they don't have to come off a project at the end which mm. is, is one of the is it's constant element of the product exactly they yeah. can constantly work on value and constantly see if they can gain more and more value or benefits you could probably inter inter interchange the two um and don't have to let go of it at the end of the project and like business analyst and the project manager who when it gets to the end of the project needs to find someone to pass that benefits realization plan to yeah um the the product owner can keep working on it long term so um, in, in a way then it sounds quite positive there's long-term ownership of the business outcomes via the product owner it sounds as though and and that that in that context it, it could be beneficial for the organization in terms of attaining the the outcomes i think it can but i think the only issue one of the issues I see with Agile is it's great for communication with the new project team because you're having your daily stand-ups, you're having your scrums, etc. But what you're not necessarily having the time to do is talk to that wider community who the change is actually being fed out to. So yeah. sometimes I think the pace of change within Agile sometimes leads to lack of communication in that wider audience mm. sometimes. Mm. And perhaps benefits are perhaps a bit of a a casualty of that sometimes yeah. because that's not what's being focused on at that moment it's the actual change i certainly work with agile practitioners um and they're they're rare but some agile practitioners believe that um agile means no documentation so working software over comprehensive documentation they, they interpret that as working software over no documentation at all and so no business case no benefits no outcomes that are written down and and i don't see that as as desirable agile practice and and it, it, i'd call it cowboy agile in all in all honesty but um, <laughs> you, you will meet some practitioners that think well benefits are against the philosophy of agile no i don't think it is they're both outcome focused they're both trying to um, engender collaboration and, and solutions that work um, so so they, they should be um, compatible in terms of two philosophies one of the most um, uh, I say um, mature agile practices that I've come across uses uses um, the the scoreboard as I call it 
Um, so the, the business team and the change folk, they're all working together and they're looking at sales of products and lead times for deliveries and numbers of complaints. And as they refine their products and their services, they're constantly looking at the metrics that are important for the business. And that's their focus. And for me, that's a way of thinking about benefit management and realization. It's just looking at the scoreboard for your business, your organization, and trying to make sure that everyone's focused towards improving the outcomes, whatever it is that, that's important for the business. Um, I just wanted to ask before we, before we close, what else do we need to cover on benefit management, benefit realization? Any final thoughts, Simon? I just think it's it's hugely important that um, businesses take it seriously um, and employ their own business analysts to to consider the, the different areas of profit at the start of the project. Um, because at the end of the day, even if you're working with a company that is is very flexible and wants to work with you to to realise those values, there's going to be some compromises, mm. and you have to know what's valuable to the business to know what to compromise on. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I just think it's a really important subject um, for any business to, to think about in depth. Brilliant. Sandra, any final thoughts? I think for me, it's about continuity. So making sure that throughout the project, we understand the benefits from senior management right down to end users and continuing that through any reviews that we do and feeding that on into the next project. You need to understand what benefits you've realised and what hasn't worked just as much as what has worked for the next project so yeah. for me, it's about it's all about communication absolutely communication and making sure we understand what a benefit is brilliant brilliant well i'm not going to add any further thoughts but i just want to say thank you to simon for suggesting this as a topic sandra thank you for joining us today thanks to everyone that's watched and and listened to the brew um please do keep sending in your ideas for future episodes um, we really do welcome the ideas. Um, if you've got any, please send them through to babrew at assistkd.com. Thank you.